0: My name is Joel Daly. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't been able to meet, and uh, I just before we get into this this morning, I, I just do want to uh, celebrate and pray for the Riverdale campus and the Brigham City campus. You know, uh, if you didn't know this, we are one church meeting in several locations. This is the best location, obviously, in West Haven. Um, yeah, these look okay good to have a little pride in our campus. Um, but, uh, and then we also have, uh, multiple other campuses. So really we're all on the same team, even though you guys don't get to see it as much. Uh, we have a great pastoral team and Eric is a great friend of mine. And I think he's just going to do such a great job in Riverdale and, uh, Mike, he's, you know, been discipling Mike for years now and really uh, just developed into a great leader and great pastor. So before we get into it, I'm going to do as John said, and I just want to pray for them, pray for those campuses that uh, God would have their hand, his hand on them during this transition. So let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you do and everything that you're doing at Alpine Church. And I just pray, Lord, that God, specifically during this time, you would be with the Riverdale campus and the Brigham City campus as there's some transitions there, God. And, and we know here, the, those of us who have been here long enough, that there's uh, always challenges and transitions. Uh, but God, we know that you're going to move in this. We know that you're going to be with Eric, we know that you're going to be with Mike. And uh, God, we just thank you for everything that you're going to do in advance in those ministries and just pray, God, that you would um, just make yourself known. God, give both of them favor, uh, give the people excitement as they come, and just, God, really further your kingdom through this. And uh, we thank you so much for uh, the health that you bring to our church and, God, all the people that you've uh, brought here. So we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series that we started last week, which is proof of life. And uh, I, I just want to start before we get into this. I want to ask you a question: Are you a skeptic? Are you a skeptical person? Okay, as you think of this, uh, Brady's not. No, nope. um, but uh, so that was very emphatic right there. Um, you know, I, I'm not a very skeptical person, so I'm pretty easygoing unless it comes to one thing, and that's athletic. Uh, feats and achievements. Because I was an athlete, and when anyone tells me they can do something, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure you can, you know, sure you can. Um, speaking of golf, because, you know, the Masters is this weekend. Um, go, go watch the Masters and have a good nap this afternoon on TV. But I was golfing 10 years ago with one of my buddies, and we were, uh, he had brought a friend with him. And this kid shows up on the golf course with baggy pants, skateboarding shoes, this super baggy ripped t-shirt with you see his underwear. And I'm like, who is this guy who you brought with you, right? Like no golf etiquette whatsoever. And he's the cockiest. I mean, at this point, we were kind of kids. He's the cockiest kid I've ever met in my life. He just was bragging himself up. And one of the things he said uh, he was gonna have to prove it to me. He said, Oh, yeah, no, I, I've hit it consistently with my driver over 400 yards. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, come on, man. Like, no, you have not hit it 400 yards. Like, the PGA average is like 320 yards, and the, the big hitters don't even hit it 400. So we get up to the first hole, the T box, and uh, he takes his warm up swing, and it is just like absolutely reckless like no control whatsoever. I'm like, okay, if this is going 400 yards, it's going to go 400 yards that way or that way, or it's either going to, he's going to not even hit the ball, right? Because there's no control. He steps up and he hits that ball, no joke, probably 370 yards. And I'm just like standing there like, are you serious? Like right down the center of the fairway. Um, I beat him pretty handily because he couldn't do anything else, so he was like a real life happy Gilmore, but um, all he could do was drive it big. That's all he could do. But you know, like when someone tells me something so outrageous, I'm going to make them prove it. I'm going to make them prove it to me that, that they can really do that. And that's really what this series is all about, proof of life. Because something so outrageous and big as the resurrection of Christ that we looked at last week, I mean, people are going to want proof of that. Like, you're going to want proof of that. Some guy died and came back and and and, and is physically here among people, right? And so in this series, we're taking a look at four people, are uh, really four sets of people. So the last week we looked at the outsiders, and the outsiders were the first people to see the risen Savior, Jesus, after he had uh, defeated the grave, okay? And, and it was women, and women in that culture were so second class, low class, not respected. I mean, it was just a very unhealthy uh, situation. But they're the first ones who see the risen Savior. And so, uh, you know, as, Chris, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, this, if you want to make a story believable, you don't say that the marginalized are the ones who, who saw Jesus first, right? You would make up a better story than that. So that's one of the proofs. Well, this morning we're looking at a person who I bet you know, Thomas the Doubter, but also known as Doubting Thomas, okay? Even if you've never read the Bible, you've probably heard of Thomas the Doubter. Um, This is what we need to first understand about him, is that he, he appears several times in the Gospel of John, and each time we learn something about what an imperfect journey toward faith looks like. What an imperfect journey towards faith looks like. You see, uh, Thomas is mentioned, he's one of the 12 disciples, and he's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's only in John that we see dialogue, that we see him talking. The others, it just kind of mentions his name. And, and really what he's showing us is, is exactly what it's like to be a human being, okay? And today, it's going to be easy to uh, point fingers and to get frustrated with Thomas as we look at his life and the things he says. But I really, really, really want you to put yourself in his shoes. Because just like, just, you know, just like me, you're all human beings. Just like Thomas, we're all human beings, And we make mistakes and we're imperfect in our journey toward faith. You know, faith is one of those words that we use kind of, you know, it's a churchy word. We use it flippantly sometimes. Uh, So I really want to define what faith is before we move forward. And and luckily, Hebrews 11.1 defines faith for us. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. This is what faith is. It's the reality of what we hope for, and it's evidence of things we cannot see. So it's proof of things that we cannot see. And so to see this faith uh, worked out today, we're going to be mostly in uh, the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, open them to John. We're going to be in this gospel. You know, but there's, there's so many physical evidences of Jesus, like not just in the Bible, you know, because the Bible says so. But, but so many secular uh, historians and philosophers, they affirm that Jesus was an actual person who lived on the earth and who died on a cross. Like that, that's not really a, a debatable fact. Now, what is more debatable is that he rose from the grave, and this is where where faith comes in, and this is why we're doing this series for those of us who maybe have a hard time believing this, or maybe we need proof of life just like Thomas did. And I want to say this, faith faith is both a journey and a destination. So faith is is a destination, and that our faith is ultimately in the cross of Christ. That's what our faith is in, the resurrected Jesus. But it's a journey because we're going to have times where we're up here, and we're going to have times where we're down here. We're never just going to be riding up high, right? If you're a Christian, you know this. Like, following Jesus isn't isn't this guarantee that your life and everything is going to be perfect, there's going to be times in your life where you have trials, where you have circumstances that, that it's going to shake your faith. And that's just part of being a follower of Jesus. That's part of being a human, just like Thomas. And so this is the first thing. Like many of us, Thomas started with zeal. He was willing to die for his faith. I'm sure you all use zeal in your everyday language, right? We all use that word all the time and... Um, I'll explain what it is in a minute, but, but see, really, the first thing that we see from Thomas is not doubt, it's not questioning, but, but it's, it's excitement, it's, a, it's enthusiasm, it's a great, big, bold faith. This is what it says in John 11, verses 14 through 16. It says, so he told them plainly, this is Jesus speaking, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And then Thomas speaks up. This is the first time Thomas speaks. Thomas, nicknamed the Twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Okay, so this is the story. Uh, if, you, if you know the story of Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha come to Jesus and say, hey, Lazarus is dying. And Jesus, you need to come heal him. Because you're the only one who can. Mary and Martha know who Jesus Jesus is. And so they come to Jesus, and ultimately Lazarus ends up passing away. And and then Jesus says this. He says, I'm glad that this didn't happen. I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. He's talking to his disciples. They're going to really see the power that he has. He can literally raise people from the dead, and he does that with Lazarus. That's a great story. You should go read it in John 11. But, but what we're focusing on is, is Thomas's bizarre response, which is underlined. It says, let's go to and die with Jesus. So Thomas is kind of a, the one amongst his peers who's, who's pumping them up, and he's like, yeah, let's go, right? Let's go. Let's go to this town where, where uh, Jesus and his followers are hated, and let's heal this person. Bethany was a town where where Jesus was viewed as a revolutionary and someone who who was dangerous and needed to be stopped. And so you can imagine if they thought Jesus needed to be stopped, well, his followers probably weren't going to fare very well either. And so some of the disciples might have been scared, but Thomas speaks up. He's bold. He, he, He doesn't care, right? He doesn't care that they're going to, you know, basically probably for you and I, like modern Middle East Right? Like, he's excited to go because he's with Jesus. He knows Jesus can do it. And maybe you can relate to this in your own life, you know. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you first received Jesus, I hope you were excited. I hope you were enthusiastic. I hope you were filled with awe at what he has done for you. On the cross, right? Like, that is absolutely incredible. Not only that he died and rose from the grave, but that he took your sin and your shame and your brokenness upon himself and took, took care of the debt that you, pay, that you deserve to pay. We should never, that's what zeal is. Zeal is energy, enthusiasm, excitement, awe, and we should just, we should just never lose that in the cross. We should never wake up one day and say, okay, yeah. Jesus died on the cross and rose. Yeah, okay. You know, but sadly, that's that's how so many of us live, right? We come to Jesus, and slowly over time, we, we, we get less and less excited and enthusiastic about what he's done for us. And this is exactly what it seems like happened with Thomas. You see, somewhere along the way, Thomas got confused. Though he had been walking with Jesus, he didn't fully get who he was, he didn't fully grasp who Jesus was. And we never will fully grasp who Jesus was. But, you know, again, I don't want to pick on Thomas, but I'm like, if you had seen everything that Jesus had done, like raising people from the dead and healing people of diseases, incurable diseases, it's like, you would think he would kind of get who he was, but he just, he didn't. He was confused. This is what it says in John 3, 14, 3-5. It says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples about eternity. So that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And in verse 5 it says, No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. Just imagine that. I kind of like to imagine it as like sarcastic. We don't know. We don't know where we're going, right? We have no idea where you're going, So how can we know the way? Thomas kind of reminds me of, and I was not this kid in class, of the kid in class who's just never afraid to ask a question. Like it's like, you know, the teacher says something and immediately like 15 people in the class are confused. And Thomas just raises his hand and says, what are you talking about? We don't know right? Like he's that type of, uh, maybe that he has got that boldness. Maybe that's the zeal that we were talking about in his life, right? He, he's not afraid to ask questions. I guarantee you the other disciples had questions as well. Thomas wasn't the only one, but he was the one who asked the question. And in a strange way, we need to learn that it, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay. It's okay to have doubts, how many of you, and I, I'm not like raise your hand or anything, but like thought of church as a place where you can never ask a question, you can never have any doubts, you you know, you have to act like you know it all and have it all together. That is not what we're supposed to be doing here. We all have questions. We all have doubts. And if you say you don't, you're lying. Because everyone does. Even pastors, every single pastor on staff at Alpine Church has questions and has doubts. That's just part of the human experience. I love this quote from Lee Strobel. He says this, Christians can have doubts and they can have questions. And the unhealthy way to deal with this is to keep them inside where they fester and grow and can undermine our faith. The healthy way to deal with it is to talk about it and be honest about it. I would change this quote to, Christians will have doubts, and they will have questions. But he's saying, you have permission to have doubts. You have permission to have questions. That's okay. That's, that's okay to have questions and doubts. But what you do with it is important. And, and, and in a strange way, Thomas asking this question, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for him. It's a good thing for the disciples, and that's a good thing for followers of Jesus. I'll, I'll leave this slide up a little bit more because I know some people are writing it down. Um, but, you know, like, it, it's, it's not the type of thing where you have to feel stupid if you have a question. Even if it's something that we've talked about time and time again, you can come ask me. You can, you can come ask a leader. I, I may not have an answer for you. Sorry in advance. I'm not the Bible answer man. But it's okay. You know, and when we have these doubts, I I have these questions and doubts every single time. And I'm not even joking you. Every single time I read the Bible, there's something, there's a question that I have. And what I do with that question is I say, you know what? I'm not going to forget this. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to, you know, take a note on my phone so that I remember later to go talk to a mentor or talk to another pastor, talk to a friend, uh, to study in God's Word. Many of the answers we have about the Bible can be found in the Bible. Use Google. Google's great, right? You can Google Bible verse that talks about this, and it'll come up with, you know, a hundred different results. We have no excuse for not looking into our answers. But, but, you know, Jesus, even when we have answers, I love the way that he responds to, to Thomas's question. He says this, John 14, 6 and 7. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Jesus, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why we say at Alpine, and you're gonna see this on billboards it's Jesus plus nothing. It's it's not our good works, it's not our intellect, it's not anything like that. It's Jesus alone that gives us our salvation. Jesus alone. This is controversial too, right? Because this isn't saying believe in your heart, anything that you want, just as long as you believe it really hard and sincere, you know, you'll be okay. That's that's not what this is saying. This is very polarizing. This is black and white. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And then he says, if you had really known me, you know my Father, and now you do know him, and you've seen him. That's because Jesus is fully God, the embodiment of God in humanity. Jesus wanted to make this clear to Thomas, but he, he wanted to make it clear to you and I, too, I believe. And I bet you didn't notice this in this verse. This is a direct answer to Thomas, Jesus told him, not Jesus said or Jesus told them. Jesus told him, Jesus told Thomas. So thank you, Thomas, for asking this question, right? Thousands of years ago, thank you for asking this question. Because we would all say, oh, well, Jesus is the way, Thomas. Don't be stupid, right? We know. But again, put yourself in the shoes of, of the disciples. I mean, this is heavy. This is heavy stuff. But see, this is what happens with Thomas. After the death of Jesus, Thomas became a skeptic. And he needed proof of life, not just a secondhand testimony. So the next place where we see Thomas's dialogue is, is uh, where we, we get his name, Doubting Thomas. And it's what he's known for. Because he's, he's a, really, at this point, you know, he, let, he didn't, he didn't uh, take his questions and his doubts and process them in the right way. He let the fear and worry and anxiety overcome him, and he became a skeptic. Even though Jesus had laid out what was going to happen, he still didn't believe. And he needed not just his, the disciples telling him, he needed uh, Jesus himself to tell him. This is what it says in John 20, 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. We don't know why. He just wasn't with them. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. He's a total skeptic, right? He's not going to take the disciples' word for it. And maybe, again, putting yourself in his shoes, maybe he didn't want to believe it. Because if he believed it and it wasn't true, how, how disappointed, how sad would he have been, right? Maybe he thought that they were playing some practical joke on him or something. In other, trans, in other accounts, gospel accounts, you know, it, it's, it implies maybe you saw a ghost, Right, that's more plausible than Jesus rising from the grave and seeing Jesus physically. But Thomas just he just won't believe it, and and many of us maybe sitting in this room maybe you know that would be our response. No, I, I want proof of this. I don't want you to just tell me. I want proof of this. You know, eleven or t- uh, yeah, nine of his closest because Judas was gone by this point. Nine of his closest companions for the, for the past three years, he will not trust them. He, he, has to, he has to see Jesus himself. And so many of us are like this, right? We, we just say, you know, I'm not going to believe it. It's too simple. It's too fairy tale. It's too out there. I can't believe it. It's not enough evidence for me. Well, I want to tell you about a person who was like that. So he was, a, he was a hot shot at the Chicago Tribune, he was, uh, you know, at the top of his game. i mean, the Chicago Tribune, one of the biggest papers, publishers in, in, the, in the world. And he saw no need for Jesus, zero. He thought religion was stupid. He thought, you know, until one day his wife came home. She's like, honey, I'm a Christian. He's like, what are you doing? Right? Like, we've talked about this. You know how I feel about this. And she said, you know, there's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to prove to you. There's nothing I'm going to say. But I want you to investigate for yourself. I want you to just read the Bible, and I want you to tell me what you think of it. Long story short, as you could probably guess, he, he ends up giving his life to Jesus. Um, he ends up writing many, many best-selling books, impacting millions of people, helping millions of people in their uh, doubt, in their questions. And this person is actually, we saw his quote just a couple slides ago. This is Lee Strobel. He wrote Case for Christ and Case for Faith, which is, if you haven't read those books, I, I really encourage you, pick up those books and read them. They're, they're phenomenal. God took a skeptic, an atheist, and turned him into one of the most influential Christian authors of all time. We're going to look at another example of that next week in Paul. Paul. But you see, this is, this is what happens when, when we question, when we doubt, and we bring him to God, God is faithful to give us answers. And this is what happens in Thomas's life. When Thomas encountered the resurrected, the resurrected Christ, he reaffirmed his faith. The interaction proves that Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. You know, we talked about doubts and questions just a minute ago, but isn't it, like, so encouraging that there's no question or doubt that's, that's too big for God. I mean, isn't that incredible? Like, you're not going to ask God a question he's going to be like, oh, shoot, dang it, I don't have an answer for that one. You know, I don't, that, that one threw me off. First off, God already knows the questions you have, so we might as well voice it to him. And we, we know that there's no doubt, there's no question that Jesus is afraid of answering. It says this in 2026 as we continue in the story. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. I love how it says that, the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He's physically standing among them, and he says, peace be with you, he said. You know, I I just want to pause here and, and make... Special, make a note, maybe if something, you know, Thomas was not with them the first time. This time Thomas is, is with the other disciples. I, and again, we don't know why he wasn't with them. But he missed out on seeing Jesus when he wasn't with them. He would have, had he been with them, he would have seen the resurrected Jesus and this wouldn't even be in history. But he wasn't. And so for us, you know, I hear, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I don't need to be a Christian. Or I don't need to be uh, coming to church to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. And you know what? You're right. Because it's by grace through faith alone. But my, my question always to them is like, why, why is the whole, basically the whole New Testament written to the church? It's not written to a single person. It's written to a group of people. Why did God create us to be relational? It's because he wants us to be in community with each other. You know, coming to church shouldn't be this drudge. It should be exciting. I hope. I hope you're encouraged every time you come. I hope you love worshiping along with the band and you love hearing God's word in the community of people. I hope you're encouraged and maybe you're not. Please keep coming back. Because I promise one day you will be. Keep putting yourself out there. I promise one day you'll find that connection. You know, 2020, I think for me personally, taught me the importance of relationships. Like seriously, we need relationships. We need each other. One study found that people in isolation live on average 15 years less than people who put themselves within a community. 15 years. Some of you aren't even 15 years old, right? That's a long time. That's a lot of years. Keep coming to church, keep, keep uh, engaging in God's community. But this is how Jesus finishes his uh, response to, to Thomas. He says, Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then Thomas, I mean, must have been overwhelmed. He, He says, my Lord and my God. Right then and there, he got it. And you know what's so cool about this is that Jesus appears and gives Thomas exactly what he asked for. He, he, he gave the skeptic exactly what he needed. He, he comes, I mean, imagine being Thomas. Again, put yourself in his shoes. You're there with your ten friends. Jesus shows up. Hey, peace. And then he turns to you and he says, touch my, touch my side. Touch my hand. Exactly eight days later, he did this. He gave Thomas exactly what he needed. And then Jesus goes on in closing this section. And he gives us kind of a, you know, he's talking to Thomas, but really he's talking to us. He says this in verse 29. Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. See, this is kind of a bonus for, for us because we haven't, I don't know about you, I haven't seen Jesus physically. I haven't, I haven't seen the physical like I'm seeing all of you right now. I haven't seen Jesus. You know, I've, I've experienced his presence. I've done all that. But, but what Jesus is saying is this is what faith is. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me, who have that hope, who have that evidence without seeing me, without walking closely with me for over three years. Blessed are those people. That's us here today. We're blessed because we haven't seen Jesus, but yet we believe in who he is. We believe in the resurrection. You know, and Jesus is inviting all of us, really, to believe in Him. You know, regardless of where you're at in life, you don't have to have it all together before you come to Jesus. You won't have it all together. You never will, so don't act like you do. Right? You're never going to have it all together. What's the, um, you know, what's the saying? um, I got a tree guy in here, so, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. That's so true. For your walk with Jesus, right? Because, because those of us who have come to Jesus, who have put our f- trust and our faith in the resurrection, you know, we, we say, I, I, I've, I've, I've talked to so many people over the years who have said this, I wish I would have done this so much sooner. I, I, I wish I could have experienced this joy so much sooner. And you know what? That's You know what I tell them is, you know, God called you when he called you. And that's exactly when you needed to come. And maybe this is your time. Maybe this is your time to uh, trust in Jesus. Maybe you've tried everything. You, you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you don't know what else to do. Turn to Jesus because his arms are open wide for you. Let's pray. God, we just uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of patience, of compassion, of mercy, of forgiveness, of love. God, so far beyond what we could ever even understand, what we could ever even fathom. God, you are the God of the universe, and and you created each and every one of us exactly how we needed to be, and we're your masterpiece, God. And I pray that we would all recognize that truth, God, that we would recognize our need for you god in this broken world where where there's so much pain there's so many doubts there's so many questions there's so much confusion god that we just don't know what to do sometimes lord what we need most of all even when we don't realize it is you jesus we need you we need your presence we need your power at work in our life god we need your purpose in our lives. And I pray, God, that again, everyone here is unique. They're in their own place. God, just meet them where they're at in this time, God, whether they've been following you for decades or whether maybe they haven't made that decision and they're just investigating. God, reveal yourself to them. God, show them your love, your mercy, your grace. And Jesus, what you've done on the cross. God, you took our shame, our sin upon you. You paid the penalty that we deserved so that we could have life. God, thank you for proof of life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all these people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.